Upon the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Well, hi and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and this is an episode of Current Issues in the Constitution. And today with me on the line is Professor Wilson. And I think if this was video, you would see two people sitting here aglow. Um, But since this is a podcast, you're just going to have to use your imagination. Um, We're coming to you after the midterm elections uh, 2014, and we are going to be discussing uh, the Constitution and some key um, points to know um, as a student, as an adult, um, you know, where it really discusses um, elections, voting, and all things um, American. Uh, and so I am, you know, delighted to um, come today and discuss the midterm elections, Woody, with you. Um, we have, uh, I know I didn't hold out a ton of hope because we've been hopeful for, what, uh, the last, oh, six years and have been constantly disappointed. But yesterday's uh, results, and I was up till uh one one o'clock in the morning working on some other stuff that I had uh, the news on, and I was delighted uh, with what was coming through. So I'm sure your reaction is very similar. Yes, um, I wasn't totally surprised. Um, I did um, personally and silently predict a Republican win in the Senate, uh, but I underestimated it. It's uh, bigger than I thought it would be. It certainly was a wave election, whatever that is. <laughs> you, can't, you can't define love and you can't define wave election. It's just a phenomenon that happens. Nobody understands it. You cannot analyze it. You cannot quantify it. It just happens now and then. It's. Um, I, I think it was a result of six years of pent-up frustration and um, pessimism that had had developed and, and it just all comes together essentially begins on the day before the election and sweeps into election day mm-hmm. now you know in 2012 if you look we're following you know uh, the the pre-election statistics on uh, real clear politics for example and then you looked at the outcome on election day the polls were deadly accurate this time they were so wrong more wrong than i have ever seen them before rcp predicted a one point showed a one point lead and the candidate wins by 15 points and this happened in several places and it was always the republican you know there were 11 toss-up states republicans won 10 of them and many of those they were behind in the polls and they won big that's a wave, folks. That is a wave. Some Democrats are denying that it was a wave. Um, my, my wife was telling me on her way to school she heard that a NBC reporter um, on public news said that it was not a wave, uh, it was not a wave at all, and, and 45 minutes later he came on and retracted his statement and said, okay, it was a wave. It was a wave. Um, and again, uh, look that up. Do some research on that. See what you can find. Uh, you're going to get a lot of opinions. You're going to get a lot of theories. Uh, but it's just totally fascinating. The question is, what becomes of that wave? The election's over in most states. Um, Alaska reported in. The Republican won there also. Um, in, 
what what will happen to that wave now that the election is over? Uh, Republicans are going to pick up uh, probably nine seats in the Senate. And if they win the recount vote in big surprise in Virginia, uh, the Democrat was way ahead, and he only won by less than 1% automatic recount in the state of Virginia. So, so right. the question is, where does that wave go from here? Is it over? Does the wave dissipate? Do the uh, waters of the ocean settle and become placid? Or does it continue through 2015 and 16 into the uh, presidential election? So those, those are questions that we'll be watching. Then we'll be watching these things um, develop and turn out over the next several weeks and months as we get into the what's next scenario um, as a result of this election. Yeah, and that's, you know, one of the things that um, I was talking to a friend uh, who's probably listening in uh, to this broadcast live, and, you know, she was saying, you know, this is a great start, but we need to really uh, pay attention to the people who we voted in uh, to follow through with what they said they will do. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of hope and expectation and, um, you know, the, the, one of the um, people that was questioned, and I don't remember exactly who it was, and I believe he was a senator, but he was questioned about repealing um, the health care plan. And he, I guess wherever he's from, it has gone over well, which is amazing because, you know, here I don't think the website even still works, but whatever. And, you know, he said, oh, well, I'm interested in repealing it if we have a replacement. So, you know, it's already backpedaling before we, you know, we even close the door on the election. Yeah. And I'm thinking, let's just hope that, you know, there is going to be some action and, you know, that they will be representing what the people that put them in office want them to do. Um, and, uh, you know, that's one of the things we do, have to keep vigilant and and keep our ears um you know, to the ground, if you will, and pay attention, which it's hard, you know, because we get busy and the last thing some of us want to do is pay attention to what the politicians are doing because we get so disenamored with what's yeah. happening. Yeah, you know, there have been um, uh, reform movements in, in United States history. There have only been three. One was in the 1840s and 50s before the Civil War. You had another one, Progressive Era, at the beginning of the 20th century. And then you had a... Uh, a pretty significant, very significant one in the 1960s that involved civil rights, anti-war, women's rights, and and all kinds of things that uh, that came together. And I, I have been waiting for the last couple of decades for the fourth reform movement. And you know, it gets basically um, in the centerpiece of that would be opposition to big government, and the rallying cry would be limited government, freedom to the people, popular sovereignty. I've been waiting for that to develop, and I'm hoping and wondering if it's developing today. And, and your friend is right. We've got to keep an eye on the people that we elected, but at the same time, it's not about them. Uh, a, a wave, a reform movement, a, a change in direction uh, for the uh, state of America, it's not about those people. It's about us. It's about us here in our communities and in our states. Uh, I, and I would, you know, like take a moment just to personally thank Barack Obama, uh, genuine, <laughs> sincere thank you for waking the American people up to what America is and has always been about and must continue to be if we're going to leave a legacy of prosperity and freedom to our children and our grandchildren. Thank you, Mr. Obama. You've done us a great service. So may this continue, but if it does, you know, it's going to take people like you and me and Tara out there fighting the fight all across America in the communities, and, and I'm hoping we're going to see a lot of that. Um, this wave must become a reform movement and carry in to the next election as well, uh, mm -hmm. and we must demand those changes in government behavior. Just stop all the scandals, stop all the hammering American citizens, agencies like the uh, like the um, Environmental Protection Agency or the IRS, the National Security Office. Uh, just stop all that stuff. Go back to freedom. 
go back to popular sovereignty, go back to the Constitution. And hopefully that's uh, this wave will generate that kind of reform sense that will spread through the communities across America over the next two years. Maybe it's already there. Well, it's, you know, the roots are there. The seeds are planted. Uh, now let's help it to grow uh, every, everywhere. everywhere, and every, Get involved. Get involved. Right. That's right. one of the and big things that's, that's hurting America. So many people so apathetic. Right, and, uh, and Tara is with us, so Tara, your ears are burning here as we talk about you, but uh, she's in the chat room, and she said, you know, we need to start today looking for supporting and getting the word out on constitutionally-minded candidates now. If we wait until the primary, it will be too late, which is um, very true, and she's uh, very involved uh, currently in our Lee County um, system with uh, opposition. Uh, she's really started um, and is part of a ground root swelling of opposition to Common Core. Uh, the fact that questions are not getting answered <laughs> and um, parents are uh, being intimidated if they ask too many questions, so on and so forth. So uh, she is hosting, um, if you're in the Lee County area, um, in November, and I know this is uh, not evergreen content, so if you're listening to this in 2015, it, it won't be relevant information, but if you're listening in 2014, it is. Uh, she is going to be um, hosting uh, information about homeschooling, and we'll have a featured speaker from HSLDA, which is the Homeschool Legal De Defense, uh, our, um, actually our district person for it that is in um, he is in Virginia, but they have different attorneys that um, are our district or an area or even Florida um, reps so that they are a liaison, I guess that's a better word, a liaison, um, to be able to ask legal questions about homeschooling. So he will be there. And, you know, I'm proud of her because, you know, we are homeschoolers and yet she's getting involved because if they overstep it, um, in the public schools, then we're just next on on the list. So right, um, exactly. You know, it's it's great. Yep. And, uh, Common uh, Core Common Core is becoming increasingly controversial. I, I I follow that pretty closely because it has become an issue in my school district. I'm head of the a committee called the Quality Schools Advisory Group that's fighting the good fight to. Uh, um, resurrect student learning and achievement, which hasn't been important in this district for quite some time, for a couple of mm -hmm. decades at least. So I was very happy, very delighted three days ago to hear Senator Manchin of West Virginia speak out against Common Core. Wow. And we have a new superintendent in our district. Um, he's an old friend of mine. We played football together at Glenville State College. Um, uh, I was when I was coaching at Parkersburg South High School. He was the athletic director. I've, we're, we're very good friends, and he is the superintendent. And I send him a lot of material about Common Core, all of it negative, all of it critical. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has uh, in the newspaper two days ago. He announced that he is going to hold two town hall meetings about wow. Common Core. Now we just had a big Republican sweep in my district. Um, in fact, in West Virginia, this you know this wave happened all over. It wasn't just the Senate. Right. Uh, Republicans picked up several seats, at least 12 or 13 in the House of Representatives. That's unheard of, two elections in a row. State legislatures went Republican, a bunch of them. I don't have the numbers yet. That's still coming in. In West Virginia, Republicans took the House of Delegates for the first time in 80 years wow. and achieved a tie, 17 to 17, in the Senate, Republicans won every single House uh, or state legislature race in my district. So Wood County is poised to take a step against Common Core. And now we have the agreement of a very powerful senator uh, in Joe Manchin, and I'm sure that the uh, new First ever uh, female uh, senator from West Virginia, Shelley Moore Capito, will side with us and with uh, Senator Manchin. Keep in mind, Senator Manchin's a Democrat. Yes, I think Common Core is okay. It should be a nonpartisan issue, right? It's an education right, issue. Right, it should but, be. But you'll find conservatives more opposed 
to that kind of outside interference. Um, conservatives believe in state state uh, sovereignty and uh, local control, so we just naturally would be inclined to oppose anything that comes either from the federal government or from anywhere else outside of the state or the community. So, you know, it's um, I think Common Core is in trouble. People are beginning to see it. It's not doing what they said it would do. It is dumbing down. The tests have been dumbed down, um, which means that the state content standards and objectives that were always in place are superior to Common Core. I mean, Common Core is a, it's like one of those fad. It comes along three or four years, doesn't do anything, uh, disappears, replaced by the new fad. So maybe the new fad is go back to basics, uh, go back to what we had um, and make it work. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think in a lot of parts of, of the country and down in your part of the country for for certain, people are standing up against Common Core. And as that develops right. and spreads, uh, maybe we've seen the end of Common Core in a couple of years. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think that uh, this administration has really angered enough people to uh, do something. And uh, Tara posted that they have a website, and it's citizens-voice.com. So the word citizens, plural, the, a dash, voice.com. And how great. You know, they've got a website. They're going to have uh, video and audio from uh, sessions that they record and hold. And, you know, it's more than just a, um, you know, one thing that's coming along. They're they're really, uh, you know, working um, tirelessly in a lot of the campaigns, and the children and I have already talked about getting very involved in uh, the next election campaigns um, great. You know, for That's part of great. their commu- community service and, you know, just to be civic-minded and help out. So we'll be looking for that, and I'm happy to have friends in my area that, that can give us some, you know, good good places to spend our time. Well, Woody, you know, as we look at these elections, and you, uh, you know, are, are so it's so cool to be able to talk to you and talk about, you know, a fourth reform and you can bring in the historic perspective. Um, One of the things we talked about in our last podcast was, you know, how polarizing our sitting president was um, and is to the election outcome. And we really saw that. And he came out and in a speech he said, you know, it's, I don't know why, you know, people are distancing themselves. They stood with me on everything. And then he came out and he said, you know, it's not about me. It's about my policies. And really what's on the table are my policies. And so, Mr. President, with all due respect, um, I think the American people have spoken and they don't like your policies. They don't like, you know, a single – I think if we wanted a king or a sovereign um, leader (laughs) – yeah. That could, you know, speak diplomatically for the people and just by uh, fiat uh, create new laws or change laws or line item veto whatever he wanted. Um, you know, we'd live, live in England or, you know, maybe change our democratic system to a monarchy, which it is not. So uh, the people have spoken loud and clear and have sent a message to Washington, and I understand that there's to be a meeting on. Uh, Friday of this week, uh, you know, the end of the week, to um, have a bipartisan meeting. Uh, like, why didn't we think about that six years ago? But who am I to judge? Uh, so, <laughs> trying really hard to be good here, Woody. <laughs> this is yeah. This is, well, you, you know, know I, it's, a, it's the, the new the new Congress is going to play out um, over the next two weeks. But please keep in mind that the Congress that was in session before the election is still in session until January the 3rd, 2015. Harry Reid is still the majority leader, and Democrats still have a majority in the Senate. And they can pass bills or they can approve judicial appointments. Uh, So it will be business as usual in that sense. But at the same time, while that's going on, the new Congress will be getting organized. Um, You know, January the 3rd, Harry Reid is out. He's the minority leader, or maybe Democrats... uh, uh, are going to say, okay, Harry Reid, you you did your thing. You caused a lot of trouble. You you uh, were part of the problem on election day. You're out. Maybe they'll elect another minority leader. Mitch McConnell most likely will take over 
as uh, the uh, new majority leader. And Mitch McConnell, uh, look him up, and uh, he he is for real. He is a Southern gentleman. Kind of reminds me of Colonel Sanders sometimes. Just polite, <laughs> courteous. Uh, you know, you got Harry Reid standing up on the Senate floor, the United States Senate, calling people cowards, calling them liars, calling them stupid. On the floor of the United States Senate, you just uh, really uh, sullying uh, the you know the the grandeur of the United States Senate. I, I just can't believe how horribly ugly and combative this guy was, a senator of the United States. Mitch McConnell is just the opposite. He is polite. He is courteous. He will never call anybody names. He will never show anger. Um, he is very firm, very persistent. Yes, that's why he's majority leader. But he is going to reach out. Republicans will reach out to Democrats in the Senate. And there are a lot of senators that have been very quiet and towed the line that really are not happy uh, with right. the Obama with the Obama set. And they've got, many of those are going to be facing re-election in 2016. So you look for people like Joe Manchin. There's an independent, can't remember his name who's already said he is going to consider caucusing with the Republicans. You know, they could end up with like uh, 58, 59 votes automatic. And they're, they're going to be on a lot of issues like, oh, like the Keystone Pipeline. There are a lot of Democrats in the Senate that would have voted for that if Harry Reid had ever allowed it to come up for a vote. But he wouldn't allow it to come up because that would embarrass the president. He would have to veto it and all of that stuff. So that's that's over with. Now, there are 370 Bills sitting in the Senate, they're on Harry Reid's desk, and they're going to go to Mitch McConnell's desk that were passed by the House of Representatives over the past several years, and they will be considered uh, one at a time. Now, you know, people say, what's next? How are the Republicans going to play it? Are they going to get into conflict with uh, Obama? I don't think so. I think they're, uh, they're going to, the Republicans are going to be like they've always been, polite, conservative, reaching out, looking for consensus, looking for solutions with Democrats across the aisle, with the president. Um, and I think they're going to be, and they need to be, you know, for the next two years. Um, the Republican Congress has got to be productive. Uh, they got to show that they can and will govern on behalf of the people that elected them. And, and I think we're going to see that play out, and it's going to be very, very interesting. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton has taken a couple of hits in this election. Right, Before the election, right. she was had written a book and went on a book tour. It was dismal. That's how it's been described. People don't want her book. And uh, every place that she and uh, Bill, her husband Bill, went to uh, speak and support uh, Democratic Senates, uh, they all lost. Didn't win any of them, except in New Hampshire. That was the only exception. I think there were 12 uh, seats that were in play, and uh, Republicans won 11 of them. New Hampshire was the only one that they couldn't quite pull off, and they came close there. So is Hillary Clinton, I hear people saying already, I was listening to a lot of broadcasts this morning, is Hillary Clinton finished? And they're already talking about other Democrats who are potential presidential candidates. So mm-hmm. that's another thing, you know, when you get into, okay, the election's over, what's next? Well, what's next is the presidential election begins. <laughs> I saw several broadcasts, and um, the reporters were always asking the person they were interviewing, well, are you uh, going to throw your hat in the ring? Uh, Mitt Romney uh, didn't say no, and Ted Cruz didn't say no. Uh, Rand Paul did not say no. Jeb Bush has already expressed interest. Uh, So the candidates are beginning to line up on the Republican side. And now with this election hitting them in the face, I would say that Democrats probably ought to go up on a mountain someplace and have a two-week retreat and just think things over because they're in a pickle. They really are, and um, they've got to get it back. They've got to get – Republicans have – conservatives have – Americans have momentum. And if these liberals are going to get back and get their steamroller going again, which they've had for the last six years, uh, one failure after another, then they're going to have to change direction. Change course. All the old, all the oldies, Obama, Clinton, out, finished, done. 
we've got to go in a new direction. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some things happen there I, I hope on so. the Democratic I hope side. So. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to say that the Clinton presidency is different than the Obama presidency, but I think enough people uh, could see that it wasn't. And then hopefully with this new um, ground swelling of, of change uh, that we'll get some of these answers to some of the things like Benghazi and uh, stuff that's been held up that, you know, we don't get any information and documents are, stre- are shredded and um, hopefully – you know some other good things, and and to Tara's yes. put not not Jeb. Yeah, Jeb Bush is very common core. Maybe you need to send him your package. Yes, he is. He's a, he is also Agenda Twenty One. Yeah, so we're not we're not happy with. I mean, he was our governor, and he did a great job for Florida. Um, very conservative. Yes, he, but yeah. yeah. I think I think he um, needs some reeducation on some of those uh, things and understanding exactly what's. What's what? Um, but, Woody, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some great resources, some websites that our listeners can go to and find some good information as well as hitting that Constitution and finding some of the areas. I know my children uh, did the assignment a few uh, weeks ago. We asked the kids to uh, look at the Constitution and find uh, where it talked about elections and and uh, we're going to talk about that as well. So we will be back in just a moment. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Well, hi and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and this is Current Issues and the Constitution. And today... We are talking about uh, the elections that took place, the midterm elections, uh, some things to keep in mind um, as we progress on. And that is, uh, Woody, you're going to share with us some of your favorite websites to be able, um, you know, for the kids to go to and adults as well to find some good information dealing with elections results and uh, all kind, all kinds of things. So. Um, do you have those ready to share with us? Uh, yes, Felice. Um, I, I, am a, I believe in simplicity. Um, mm-hmm. I pick out one or two things, uh, three at the most, um, if, I, if I really want to know uh, in depth. But um, I've located two sites. Um, I, this morning I spent some time on Real Clear Politics. Now they have uh, – you can go to that race for the Senate, or race for the house, or governor's races, and click on that. And what they are showing you are the polls, the last poll on Monday. And then right above that, the final election day result. And you can see the differences, remarkable differences. Like in uh, um, Kansas, they had Greg Orman, the independent, ahead by one point, and Senator, the Republican, Senator Pat Roberts, Roberts won by 10 points. Uh, I mean, 11, wow. t- 11 times more. So you, they show you that. Now, there are some other useful things there too. But, but I spent some th- time there. I looked at all of those things, and uh, I th- think it's very interesting. And I think you should do that. Although there are other websites that will give you the list. But I then I went to Politico. Uh, Politico just spell politic and put an O on it. Dot com. And uh, that is just a wonderful website. All the results, all the numbers, uh, percentages, uh, governors' races, state legislatures, Senate, House of Representatives, it's all there. 
It is a wonderful website. Uh, if you click on uh, House of Representatives, you've got a big map. You can click on your district, and up comes the results of the uh, election in your district. And the same thing with senators, a map there. You can click on your state and look at the numbers. You can click on governor and look at the numbers there, uh, Scott over Christ in Florida, for example. And as a matter of fact, you know, talk about a wave. There were um, 31 gubernatorial races uh, going on, 31. Republicans won 24. Democrats only pulled out seven. In states mm-hmm. like Massachusetts, Maryland, I'm not sure Maryland has ever had a Republican governor. This was uh, certainly a wave there. So I strongly recommend you spend some time just looking at how wrong the polls can be, especially when in the event that a wave occurs. And you're not going to see a Democrat wave in 2016. What you could see is a continuation of the Republican wave. And, again, we talked about that. Then go Politico and... uh, Spend several days on it and just get a good sense. Now, in the next election, 2016, uh, there are going to be 33 or 34 Senate seats up. 24 of those are going to be Republicans. So, you know, looking at it, odds, uh, by by the odds, uh, Democrats will have a better chance to pick up Senate seats um, in 2016 because 24 Republicans, uh, some of those will be vulnerable and Democrats will go after it. But keep in mind, if Republicans win half of those seats, and even if Democrats win the other half, um, well, you still got a, you know, you've got vulnerable Democrats as well. That doesn't mean that Democrats are going to be able to take the Senate in 2016. But by going to Politico, you can see all of those things, and you can see how it plays out um, in all of those races, and they're all important. Like we said last week, local races, state. Uh, national, they're all very, very important. So become very familiar with that whole process. And Politico also gives you the ability to sort of focus and specialize on your little neck of the woods in terms of the district and the state in in which you live. And Felicia, do you have any other sites that uh, you've found useful? No, those two um, are really good and um, you know, you said, okay, so you said those, just those two. And then we're going to talk about um, the Constitution, Woody, because you had asked the kids to look up some of right. the Right. Um, Let's do that. And, and, and before okay. we do, I just, I just want to say something about Election Day. Uh, a yeah. very, very strange thing happened to me yesterday. It was about 11 o'clock. The sun was shining. It was 62 degrees. Uh, just looking good, and we were getting ready to go to the polls, my wife and I. And um, I went out the door first and stood in the sunshine, and um, it's kind of hobbling. I've had a knee replacement surgery. And I, I stopped waiting for her to come out, and all of a sudden, I mean, just something took over my body. Both of my fists went into the air, and I shouted, Election Day. And it just... <laughs> Wow, you know, you know, I've been thinking about it ever since um, Election Day. You know, you got July Fourth, uh, Thanksgiving, Memorial Day, Christmas, Easter, Veterans Day, all that stuff. They all pale in comparison to the great magnificence of Election Day. And you, and it, it should be a federal holiday. They delivered mail yesterday. I almost went out and yelled at the mailman, "What are you doing? It's Election Day. You shouldn't be out here." I think the whole the national holiday, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. More than a holiday, a moratorium on anything. Everything shuts down on Election Day. We're going to do one thing, single-minded purpose. Everybody's going to go vote. All right, so anyway, I've been thinking about that ever since. Um, and I, I thought back to the beginning, you know, in 1789, truly was the world's first election day right here in the good old United States of America. Maybe your state wasn't in existence then. Mine was as a part of Virginia. We hadn't seceded yet. We would do that during the Civil War. So people went out to vote, and we've been doing it ever since. We've had, what, 114, 115 elections now? 
and we keep going back again and again and again. We go to the polls, and I was thinking about this, and we're not afraid of anything. We're not afraid of being attacked or shot or a suicide bomber, or we're not worried about retribution because we went to vote. Uh, in many parts of the world right now, people would be scared to death to go vote. But we went to vote. Now, I will admit, and you have to admit, that when we uh, first began, compared to now, we were not a great democracy. We would become a great democracy over the next couple of centuries. But in the beginning, the only people that could vote were white males who owned property in most states. A few states allowed all white males to vote. Women couldn't vote. Of course, slaves couldn't vote. Indians couldn't vote, and so on. And it stayed that way up until the 1830s when Andrew Jackson, the man of the people, was president, and he extended voting rights to all white males. Uh, he managed to get that done. You know, of course, that's state law, but it's also constitutional law as well. Uh, citizens of the United States can vote, period. So, you know, if you're a stevedore or you uh, were a farmhand or something like that, you could go vote on Election Day. Now, the next thing that's going to happen is that um, the Civil War will be fought and black males will be given the right to vote. Women's suffrage movement comes about. Um, in 1920, the vote expands to women. In the 60s, uh, we're going to give 18-year-olds the right to vote. Uh, so as we move through history, it's just a beautiful thing to see the uh, the, the blossom. You might say that uh, the Constitution of 1789, uh, that's the seed, and now, now we're seeing the great blooms, the great trees of democracy that have sprouted all over America. And it's just a beautiful thing to see uh, as you study history and as you read history and you watch this thing develop. So um, I don't suppose we'll ever stop growing uh, in terms of becoming like a great oak tree, always growing higher uh, branches, spreading out democracy, freedom. And that's one of the things that we need to take back because we have seen a curtailing of that in the last six years. Now let's get into the Constitution. You, um, you have, I am sure you have read just about everything that we're going to talk about, so we'll make this as brief as we possibly can. It begins, of course, in Article 1, the legislative branch. Section 2, if you could turn to that um, very briefly or scroll to it. I wonder how many of you are scrolling and how many of you are turning pages. More scrolling, I would wager. Section 2, the House of Representatives shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of the several states. So every two years, all representatives face re-election. And the electors in each state shall have the qualifications that are requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislature. In other words, the qualifications will be the same. Next clause, and I'm saying next clause because mine are not numbered and yours might be numbered and they might be different from mine. So next clause, no person, here are qualifications, no person shall be a representative who shall not have attained to the age of 25 years. So uh, that's an awkward way uh, as from our vernacular point of view um, to say that you have to be 25 years old to qualify to run for the House of Representatives. Now, an interesting thing happened up in upper, upstate New York, 21st Congressional District. A young lady, 30 years old, Elise A. Stefanik, Steph, Steph, Stefanik Stefanik uh, won the election. Thirty years old. She's a Harvard graduate. She works in um, a business, a very large business that does plywood and such. Lives with her mother, unmarried. She is now the youngest representative ever to be chosen by the people to the United States Congress. So, wahoo! By the way, Iowa also elected its first female senator, so I wouldn't say that this is an election of women, but it is certainly very, very pleasing uh, to see more and more women taking their place amongst the leadership that's required by our Constitution. So back to this one, 25 years old, seven years a citizen of the United States. So can a, somebody come here from Mexico, become a naturalized citizen, and seven years later run for uh, United States House of Representatives, absolutely, seven years. 
after citizenship. So you might be here for five years, uh, getting naturalized, and in seven years, 12 years, you can run for the House of Representatives. We do have naturalized citizens in the United States Congress. You might want to look up, look those up. And lastly, and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state in which he shall be chosen? Couldn't you and I write that a lot simpler? You know, parents, it would be a very interesting thing to have your have your kids rewrite the Constitution using modern-day language. That would be very interesting. And I think when they're finished, they would probably just about have the Constitution memorized. That would be a good thing. All right, moving on to Section 3 in the Senate, uh, pretty much the same thing, uh, a little bit difference in the numbers. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, chosen by the legislature thereof. Now, amendment... See, in those days, one of the things, one of the things that, um, well, it was you, you can't say they shouldn't have done it. That's revising history. But you know, James Madison, uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, they did not really trust the masses. Eighty percent of the people in America at that time could not read or write. They, but eighty percent of them owned muskets, and they were very restive and uh, combative. They just fought a war with Great Britain and. Uh, they were full of themselves, so they just did not trust that Election Day would not become a mob, uh, guns going off and so on and so forth, and in, in order to give stability to the election. You know, okay, the people are going to choose the representative of the House. They gave the state legislature more educated, experienced uh, businessmen, uh, men of reason, uh, for example, and allowed them to choose the senators. And that stayed that way all the way up into the early 20th century when the Amendment 17 will change that one line to say, chosen by the people thereof. And that's just another example of the growth of that great uh, tree of democracy, uh, just another, another example of power being shifted to the people. So they're chosen for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. Now, by the way, that was so important to them in the Constitutional Convention. <laughs> it was a clever little thing that they did. If, uh, when you get time after this show, look at, uh, read Article 5. It's the amendment process. And you'll find that they stuck in, at the end of the amendment process an exception. There's one thing in the Constitution that cannot be amended, and that is equal suffrage in the Senate. That is an amazing thing. Okay, reading on, next clause, speaking of the Senate, immediately after they shall be assembled in consequence of the first election, they shall be divided as equally as may be into three classes. You know, you're not going to get exactly one-third, one-third, one-third. If we had 99 senators, okay, no problem, but we've got 100. So we divide them into three classes of 33, 33, and 34. Okay, the seats of the senators of the first class shall be vacated at the expiration of the second year, of the second class at the expiration of the fourth year, and of the third class at the expiration of the sixth year, so that one-third may be chosen every second year. Now, if you have more language there, that's been amended by the 17th Amendment, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. Now, but let me ask you this. Why did they do this with the Senate, not with the House? Well, okay, two-year election in the House would be hard to do, but six years, why, why not just elect them all at once? Why did they just, you know, keep two-thirds and just elect one-third every two years? What was their thinking? What was their strategy? The answer is they wanted Stability. They didn't want a brand-new bunch of rookies that didn't know what they were doing sweeping into the United States Senate. You might get that in the House, but you've got stability, you've got solidity in the United States Senate with this one-third approach. And again, it was just basic distrust of, of the mob, of the potential of the mob. And they had good reason to distrust the mob and worry about that. Moving on. Next clause, no person shall be a senator, here are the qualifications, who shall not have attained to the age of 30 years, so five years difference with the House, nine years as opposed to seven, a citizen of the United States, but, you know, a naturalized citizen can be a senator, 
And who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state for which he shall be chosen? That came up in this last election. It was found out that Mary Landrew, by the way, um, that's going to be a runoff election on December the 6th. Nobody got a majority. They have this crazy open primary general election in Louisiana. I don't know why they do that. They had 11 or 12 candidates. And uh, the Republicans are going to take this one on December the 6th. There were um, three Republican candidates and one Libertarian, and that add, add up their vote totals, it's 56% of the vote. So all those, other, those others will drop out, and Bill Cassidy will get all the conservative vote and be the Republican senator from uh, Louisiana. So nonetheless, um, um, how did I get into that? Okay, yeah, the question came up. Mary Landrieu owns a very nice, big, expensive house up in Washington, D.C. And when she comes to Louisiana, which is very rarely, she stays with her mother. So she doesn't have a residence in Louisiana. So that came up, and that discussion is not over with yet. Senator Pat Roberts, the Republican that won uh, Kansas also has that problem. He hasn't been seen much in Kansas lately, and he is now in his fourth term, and he does have a residence in Washington, D.C., and he does not have one in Kansas. So um, this uh, portion of the Constitution is up for discussion. Okay, moving on. Um, Just for your information, the vice president of the United States shall be the president of the Senate, but shall have no vote unless they be equally divided. You know, people were speculating three or four days ago that if uh, Democrats uh, get 50 seats, Republicans get 50 seats, Joe Biden, the president's vice president, will cast the deciding vote. And that also would mean that uh, Harry Reid would have remained the majority leader. Of course, we don't need to worry about that anymore. Now, in Section 4, and this is very important, and this is where uh, Election Day can become convoluted, uh, it says the times, places, and manner. Times like when, places, uh, polling places, uh, districts, and so on, and manner. Now, that word manner, the manner or the mode or how we do it, that one is really open for interpretation. So the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. The United States Congress and the United States President have nothing to do with it. Each state determines its own election law. But, after the semicolon, Congress may at any time, by law, make or alter such regulations, except as to the places of choosing senators, again, protecting the Senate. So if a state uh, passes a law that really is a rogue law or does harm to a significant minority of citizens in that state, Congress could overrule that, and they don't do that very often. It doesn't happen very often. And another way to take down state regulations that uh, penalize groups of people is to go to the Supreme Court. And we've done that too. So (coughs) according to this, the manner of holding elections, okay, the Supreme Court has interpreted that to mean that states can have voter ID laws if they want to. Now, you know that's been an issue for the last four years. And uh, President Obama's man, uh, Attorney General Eric Holder, has sued several states that have had voter ID laws, saying that it shouldn't be necessary. But, you know, with the way things are going now with early absentee voting and technology and so on, the potential for voter fraud is just growing and growing. So, I don't know, the way I look at it, I say let's everybody go to the vote, to the polling place and show your voter ID and let the people, the officials there, be able to verify that you are a citizen of the United States and you are who you say you are before you go over to the screen and do your voting. I would like to see that. And I wouldn't be surprised as uh, as voter fraud becomes a greater and greater issue. Um, thankfully, it didn't make a difference in this, yesterday's election. I think we ought to consider uh, securing the vote for citizens of the United States only and citizens who are actually alive. So um, that piece of the Constitution right there, Section 4, exceptionally important. All right, let's take a look at some other things. Now, if you would, just flip over very quickly to Amendment 15. 
Now, this was the last of the three Civil War amendments. Thirteen, uh, Amendment 13 basically freed the slaves. Fourteen established a citizenship and equal protection of the law and, and um, due process of law and those kinds of things for all citizens. And uh, Amendment 15, the rights of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of race, color, or slavery, previous condition of servitude. All right, so this gives black males the right to vote. Now, here's Amendment 17 that modified uh, the, the clause on the Senate that we were looking at before. Uh, the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, elected by the people thereof for six years, and so on. And also, uh, in the second clause there, when va vacancies do happen, if somebody resigns or becomes ill, um, in the representation of any state in the Senate, the executive authority of the state, do you know who that is? That would be the governor, executive authority, shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies, provided that, that the legislature of any state may empower the executive thereof to make temporary appointments, and that's what they normally do. And they just fill out that term until the people fill the vacancies by election as the legislature may direct. So this varies from state to state, and again, it's up to the state uh, to decide how to do that. Amendment 19, 1920, um, after 78 years of struggle, women finally got the right to vote, and I love it. Uh, it's just so simple. One sentence is all it takes, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Just like that, half the population began to vote. It's a fascinating story, the passage of the 19th Amendment, and I urge you to do some research on it. Came down to the last vote. Uh, one representative hadn't voted. He wasn't sure how to vote. He was all mixed up. He was in a quandary. He got a telegram from his mother telling him to vote yes, and he did. That's the story. You should look that up. It's um, very, very interesting. Okay, moving up to Amendment 24, and it just amazes me sometimes, every time I see this one, that it took them so long. You know, after they passed the 17th Amendment, um, or excuse me, the 15th Amendment, giving black males the right to vote, the southern states, and some western states too, began to put down poll taxes where you had to pay $25 to get a voting certificate. Well, most of those freedmen, uh, former slaves, didn't have $25. They wouldn't have $25 in a five-year period. So they were just in mass uh, denying the vote uh, to these people, and uh, it just went on and on and on, all the way up to 1964, now you've got Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. We're just taking a look at everything that discriminates against this sector of American citizens, and we start taking those apart. So Congress does propose and the states ratify the 24th Amendment in 1964, saying the right of citizens of the United States to vote in any primary or other election for president or vice president, for electors for president or for vice president or for senator, representative of Congress, blah, 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 shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state by reason of failure to pay poll tax or other tax. So the poll tax was made illegal. In 1971, Amendment 26 passed, and this is the last of the voting amendments. And this basically was basically a nod uh, to the young people that took to the streets, uh, the hippies, the anti-war folks, uh, Young people like me, for example, that were active in the civil rights movement and other things. Um, and it was an encouragement to, to, to draw more people. I remember the slogan also, if you're old enough to kill, you're old enough to vote. They were sending 18- and 19-year-olds to Vietnam uh, to fight in the war, but they couldn't vote on the policies that sent them there. Um, so, you know, just 18 years old is adulthood. So Congress proposes states... Uh, ratify that the right of citizens of the United States who are 18 years of age or older to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of age. And thus ends, um, and there are other little places you can find the Constitution, some reference to 
uh, voting, for example, or running for office, that sort of thing. Uh, but I think we've hit the big things here, and um, mm-hmm. very good. should give you a, a, a very good sense and a much better understanding of the election good. as you examine it in the next few days. That's great. I loved your suggestion to have the kids rewrite it in their own words. I don't know that they'd like to do that, but it really would give them an understanding of um, yeah. of the document. A, a couple of well, questions. Well, I used, I used to have my stu- I used to have my students do that, Felice, and they loved it. They just had really? a good time. I put them in I put them in teams, and I said, uh, okay. you know, I get, gave, gave like maybe I had eight, eight teams. I gave each one a piece of the Constitution that we were studying at the time. And they would do it like in, I don't know, 25, 20, 25 minutes, and it was over with. So it didn't take an awful lot of time. And, boy, did it, you know, class discussions became so rich because, you know, I didn't have to stand up there and lecture. I just had to ask questions, and they start talking and, and mentioning the Constitution uh, frequently over and over and over. And this was an American uh, uh, advanced placement, American government and politics class. So it was very, very useful. Very good. Yeah, that's uh, that's the class we advertised earlier. Uh, Woody taught a version right. of that for homeschoolers. That was great. So we can just add right. that to the list of uh, activities, Woody. That would be a great suggestion. Um, question on Amendment 17. It says, um, was Amendment 17 intended to grant citizenship to children of illegals or just to affirm that the slaves were granted the status? You mean Amendment 15? Um, that could be. Amendment 17 has to do with the uh, with with the people choosing the senators. Okay, so I guess she meant 15. Okay, now Amendment 15 is um, just pretty much cut and dry. It's a um, it's a vote that secures and guarantees the right of freedmen, males, to vote. That's, I mean, that's all that Amendment 15 does. Okay. Maybe that's not the amendment. Maybe this question was about the 14th Amendment. Would you read the question again? Sure. Um, was the amendment, I'll just leave the number blank since we're not sure which one, and uh, if you're in the room, go ahead and, and post that question again um, with the amendment you meant. Um, is it intended to grant – I'll read you the whole thing. It's long. It was it intended to grant citizenship to children of illegals or just to affirm that the slaves were granted the status? Also, does this amendment mean that everyone else is a citizen of the U.S. as opposed to a citizen of their state, which was a member of the union? I've had people comment on both of these, but I would love to have Woody's thoughts on this. Okay, if you go to Amendment 14, which we didn't discuss, it doesn't have anything to do with voting. Well, I suppose it does insofar as in Section 1 it defines citizenship, and it protects people. And it was, it was directed mainly at, um, at, at protecting the new freed people, the men, the women, and children, and defining them as citizens of the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were not illegal immigrants. They were slaves. And, um, and so it protects them from state. It, it guarantees to them equal protection of the laws, passed by the states, and it guarantees to them due process of law um, that white people have always enjoyed. And now we're guaranteeing, we shouldn't have to, but we're guaranteeing with the power of the Constitution that these newly freed people, these former slaves, will have full citizenship rights in the United States of America, wherever they go, and in whatever state they land in. So the question, as you read it, seems to pertain to the 14th Amendment. Okay. And um, the questioner can correct okay. us if we're wrong about that. Yeah. And then uh, it said, I also thought that women who were head of household originally did have the right to vote, but it was sort of taken away over time. No, I don't know about that. Okay. All right. Uh, that um, That's a... That's something I'm going to have to look up. I've never heard of the head of household vote. I don't see it in the Constitution any place. Okay, now I love it. Maybe um, some, maybe some states allowed it. Maybe there were states that allowed that. Okay. But I'd have to see all, it. In, we can all look it up. I'd have to see it documented before. <laughs> <laughs> before you add that one to your list. 
Yeah. Okay. Right. And thank yeah, thank okay. you for whoever brought that up. I love it when that's stuff. Of course, up. it was Tara. Of course, it was. So. Uh, she of course, also who disagrees. else? Yes, she also disagrees <laughs> with your McConnell assertion. Um, as majority leader, apparently she's not a big fan. But she said, "Why not someone like Ted Cruz?" And I I think she uh, should get Ted, it. Ted Cruz is uh, way over to the right. Um, he he is not a consensus candidate. Um, in fact, uh, Ted Cruz didn't come right out and say it, but he is much. He gave a pretty solid nod to Mitch McConnell when asked if he would support McConnell. Um, several other people have been asked. Nobody has said. Nobody's about. To, in fact, most people are saying, "Yeah, McConnell's our guy," and Ted Cruz is not disagreeing with that. So that's why I'm saying. I, I do, honestly, if they came up with somebody better than McConnell, I'd be all for it. Um, and maybe they will. You know, it's not a done deal. I, these guys are going to go right. into closed session, and who knows? I mean, Republican caucus. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, Ted Cruz, I don't know. He's just too far to the right, and you don't want somebody too far to the right because you alienate um, an awful lot of people. I don't think he would get the votes. I like Ted Cruz. I do really, really hope that he will run for president. Um, I, he could be my personal candidate. Uh, he and I and Rick Santorum of Pennsylvania were just about identical in terms of, of, of the conservative outlook that we hold. And... Um, I like it when people talk, get up and talk about democracy and freedom and this great nation and and what we can do for our people and for the world as well. I, I love that kind of leadership. You don't you don't see that very often. But as far as him being chosen as uh, majority leader, I I would uh, I don't think that that would happen. Well, we of course, I could hope. be wrong and. Tara could be right. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Well, I think we'll she was saying. Why, I tell you what. Why let's not? let's watch it. Sorry, I'm sorry. Go she, ahead. I think she was saying. I think she was saying she hoped that would happen, or you know, like why not? So I think you explained yeah. what, what they're thinking, not that you personally, uh, you know, like one or dislike right. the other. So, okay. You and gotta then be also, realistic, but I tell you, let's yeah, let's right. just watch this thing play out for two yeah. weeks, and then two weeks from today, we'll. Uh, We'll just have a great discussion over what happened in that two-week period following this great historic. There are historic elections that go down in history as being special. This is one of them. So we'll discuss it more um, in two weeks as we look at how things are playing out. Yeah. You know, by by then, the by then the White House is going to react. Um, there's going to be uh, communication between. Uh, the new Republicans and and the White House and with the Senate. I hear Republicans talking about all the mem- Republican members of the House and the Senate getting together for a retreat someplace uh, for a few days, and uh, just like the liberals up on the mountaintop, and decide how they're going to approach things in the next two years. You know what what legislation are they going to push? How are they going to reach out to the White House? How are they going to reach out? What about compromise? What about accommodation? What what about negotiation with uh, Democrats in the House and the Senate and getting them on board? You know, when they passed that Affordable Care Act, all the Democrats voted for it and all the Republicans voted against it in the Congress. You don't pass laws like that. You don't do that. You get bipartisan support, and you get a lot of people from both parties uh, voting for it, and that way you know it is legitimate and it is solid. So um, are Republicans going to do that over the next two years? Well, hopefully so. So we'll watch it play out. What is that, the 19th, the next session? I believe it is. Yes, it's in two weeks. Yes. So, yeah, if people, if you, the best thing to do with this show is to follow on um, the feed or iTunes or sign up for a newsletter uh, it just goes out once a week. I don't inundate everybody with a ton of emails, and that way you'll find out um, all of our special things that we do with the network. We give away audios. Uh, we change those up every week, as well as um, bundles, the new bundles out today. So at different times during the year, I put together you know, uh, different incentives uh, to help you um, with your homeschooling as well as you know get some 
education and freebies as well. Uh, another just quick comment, Woody, because we are out of time before the system uh, kicks us out here. But uh, Tara had another comment. She said, uh, she, and I was I can second her vote here. She said, I was thrilled to see Mia Love in, win in Utah. I am glad she did not give up after her loss two years ago. Uh, what do you think yes, about this yes. historic event as well as the change of power from the Dems to the GOP in Illinois, which I think you did comment on? Yes, I, uh, Mia Love, um, I, uh, when I first met her, so to speak, a couple of years ago, um, I think she's a rising star. I think she is... Um, I think she is somebody, not just because she's good-looking, has a nice smile, and, a, and talks good. You know, that's that's how Barack Obama was chosen. Uh, but she's got heart, and she's got depth, and she's got strong, strong principles. Um, I see her as a potential leader. I don't know how far this girl will go, but uh, she has uh, really got what it takes. Wonderful. God bless America. Yes, and what a wonderful show. Very happy uh, to have you, Woody, to be able to discuss this today and uh, excited about, you know, where our country is going and have, we have a little spring in our step today and I yes. just, uh, we'll just need to keep all of this in our prayers that it continues on. So I will be talking to you soon and uh, we'll we'll keep in touch. All right, please. It's been a pleasure. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.